Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Elementary Education Exposed podcast. How does one teach at an elementary level? What does it take to become an elementary educator? In the midst of classroom chaos, what can be done? In this episode, I am joined by Bridget Monahan and Jenna Urquidez, sophomores enrolled in the elementary education program at Boise State University. Also joining me today is my very own brother, Cameron Yund, a junior in the program nearing his professional year. Together, we will answer those questions and more. Just sit back, strap yourselves in, and enjoy the ride as we expose the world that is early elementary education. Okay, so first question. So any of you guys can answer. Just like, go for it. It's all open. So what has been the most challenging aspect of the path you've taken to get as far as you are now? The praxis tests, which is which are tests that you have to take what, six total, and they're all about math, science, social studies, literature, everything we learn. But they're awful to go through. Like, why are they awful to go to? Like, why, what makes them so difficult? If you're not a good test taker, you're not going to do very well. Most of my friends have failed them once or twice and had to retake them. Plus, you have to take them and pass them all to get into the department itself. I've only taken one of those tests, so I feel like for me, getting into the program was the most challenging part so far, just because you have to make sure you have everything done in the right order, and then making sure it's acceptable for like the teacher level that they want. So it doesn't really matter when they're like, oh, it's gonna be easy, you got this, and it's not, like you're all stressed out and stuff, so. That would be mine. But that's purely because I've only taken one praxis test so far. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, here's a research question for y'all. Melissa Stormont, a researcher who researched the difference between elementary educators who had a bachelor's degree versus those who had a master's regarding how they handle behavior problems in a classroom, her findings consisted of the fact that 91% of subjects agreed that identifying the trigger to the behavioral problem was the best method of intervention. Do you agree with this? I absolutely agree with that. That's what we're being taught pretty much in the ed department. There's always some sort of thing behind the scenes that causes the behavior. However, the whole masters and bachelors, I don't think it really matters which one you have. You yeah. can you you learn it all through the bachelor program and then when you're in the field you get to know your students so you know the what does cause the behavioral challenges. Yeah. When a kid has any kind of behavior issues, it's always them trying to communicate something to you. Louder. Should I say it again? Sure, yeah. Okay. So when ever a kid has any kind of behavior issue, um, it's just them trying to communicate something to you, which really is just getting down to whatever their trigger is, what might be going on at home, um, and finding that out, I would definitely agree, is the best, best method of intervention for sure. Cool. All right. Jared Allen, a professor for elementary educators seeking their bachelors in the field, did a research project where he reflected on his own teaching abilities to teach the future of elementary educators. Allen found that his personal identity was negatively affecting the learning of his students as he found himself subtracting discomfort from scenarios that he was teaching about regarding future problems with students by feeding the students answers too quickly without letting them experience the scenario for themselves. So my question to you guys is, would you rather that your professors allow you to learn more about the uncomfortable scenarios by instead 
kind of teaching you less about them and letting you experience them themselves through like professional year or whatnot? Or would you rather be taught like the base concepts and warned ahead of time? It's a tough one. I don't know. I think I kind of lean more towards the latter half of that. I'd want to know ahead of time instead of just being blindsided. Um, I'm also from Southern California, so the districts down there have a lot going for them. Um, within, if you take behavioral problems or just family dynamic, it's a lot of stuff that we have to take into consideration. So learning ahead of time how those kids are going to act and like being prepared, I think that would be really helpful than just being thrown in during professional year and said, good luck, that kind of thing. Because just knowing those fundamentals is not going to be the same as knowing the fundamentals plus what else we're going to need to know for the classroom. I think you also have to think about your participants as well. Like if you're just getting thrown in there without any warning or any preparation, you know, sure that might be, you know, some could argue that would be a better learning experience for you, but you're affecting real lives um, as you're learning and you're doing field work. So I would definitely say like for the participants sake, your students really it's best um, to know what you're getting into ahead of time. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I would say in my experience, pretty much because I have to be all in field work next semester, you get blindsided inevitably. The department, in my opinion, sort of touches on behavior and what you can do, but mm. I mean, it's, it's all about getting to know your students and that's how you, you deal with it. It's, it's inevitable to find that blindside and get hit. Yes, you can prepare. Other, when you're in the field, other teachers can tell you about incoming students. Hopefully not in a bad way so your judgment is skewed. Mm. But ways to help you help the student I think it, I just think there's still some inevitability that you're going to get, you're not going to know. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. How have you handled teaching students with varying proficiencies? For example, like difference in reading ability. I know this is mostly centered probably towards Jenna more because you actually work in classrooms with like people. Do you mean gifted and challenged? Not necessarily. Like... What am I talking about here? Like the the children of refugees, the kids. Yeah, um, ENL kids. So or ELL kids too. I think there's also a different dynamic that you have to go about understanding that you got you need that extra foundation mm -hmm. um, because they're learning a new language and it can be at any level. It's not just you know first graders are learning their language just the same as new kids are going to learn a language. That's not the same. They can come in at any level. Um, so I don't know, that being said, I've only done a few service learning so far, so I bet Cam has seen a little bit more of it. Um, but I don't know, for me, I've noticed like ELL groups, they go out and do their separate reading time to get their individual foundation, and then they come back that. and join the rest of the group. I think there's pros and cons to that, but I think it's important to build that a two-story foundation and not just what we tell the general elementary educators make that foundation. I think they need that extra bit as well. Yeah, it's the pull-out method that they use in the Boise School District where they pull them out of the classroom and stick them back in. And then there's like the push-in method where they have um, aides come into the classroom and help them in their general education classroom setting. Um, I'm actually, part of my research that I'm doing through the College of Education right now um, is kind of about that and it's more geared towards the refugee student demographic specifically and kind of what we're doing through my research 
that I'm doing in connection with some um, teachers in the Boise School District right now and some of my professors is um, talking about how do we accelerate a student's learning, especially when they're new to the country and they don't have any kind of foundation to work off of, but they're at that age where they're coming in at fifth grade or fourth grade and they've missed so many years of you know, foundational things that kids that grew up in America have. So, you know, there's still research going on to this day. How do we make up for years of lost time, really? So we're still learning more, which is the really cool thing about education um, is research is still so necessary to figure out, you know, kind of the answers to some of these questions that you're asking. Right. So... Uh, Cameron, this is mostly for you since you're, you have an emphasis on history, but Ronald V. Morris and Denise Shockley studied the benefits of field work for elementary educators with an emphasis on social studies slash history. They found that those who did field work transferred the knowledge they had gleaned unto their students, thus increasing their level of learning. Is field work something you would incorporate in your own teaching? And by field work, you mean like I go out and actually be part, like, partly historian or something? Sure, yeah. Like, not bringing your what, students, just you. And then you bring that back to the classroom. I mean, on my own time, and just as a hobby, because I like history, <laughs> yeah. depending on the curriculum and what it requires, I can do some extra research, yes, to help prepare and bring it to the students. Um, but, I mean, if it's about working as a historian or someone... With history, that's going to be a little hard. My major's elementary education. Right. So, final question. Natalie Wexler researched and directly criticized the country's approach to education, saying that our students were being taught to learn to read rather than to read to learn. What does this mean to you? Either of you. I thought it was a really provocative quote. I think it really comes down to uh, critical thinking because in our world today you know it's so different than it was even just 20 years ago um there's so much information out there um and I think it's really easy to just um kind of deposit knowledge into our students as if they're just empty receptacles and we're just imparting our knowledge on them but really it's important for us to teach these kids to think about what they're learning to give them different perspectives. Um, that way they can kind of sift through information and figure out what they think of everything and not just accepting, um, you know, a piece of information as truth, really teaching them to think critically for themselves. I think that's kind of, at least that's kind of my interpretation of that quote. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in and for my interviewees for answering all of those rigorous questions. I hope that this podcast will shed light on the world of early elementary education so that others may be able to see how integral our early educators are to our society. This has been Early Education Exposed. Signing out. Yeah.